Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. This week, the second and final part of our coverage of the South Korean election result and what it means for workers in that country. As I mentioned on the program last week, President Park Geun-hee was impeached and imprisoned on bribery charges in December 2016, following a candlelight vigil campaign by Korean workers and mass society. Ms Park was the first woman elected to the position of president in South Korea. She was ultra-conservative, extremely pro-capitalist and vehemently anti-union. In her four-year administration, she unleashed a massive assault on the Korean labour movement. She advanced a pro-privatisation agenda, presided over many arrests of union leaders, and all of this ultimately cemented a working-class movement against her that culminated in her impeachment on the 9th of December. On the 10th of May 2017, in an historic election in South Korea, Moon Jae-in of the Minju Party of Korea was elected. During that campaign, Moon Jae-in made promises of public sector reform, limiting casualisation, promoting workers' rights and particularly working towards better health and safety protections for workers. These promises were made because of the might and pressure of the Korean labour movement that successfully resisted the privatisation and union-busting moves of Park Geun-hee. But what's required now is for President Moon to fulfil on his promises. Continuing with this discussion are my guests, Walsan Liam, the International Officer of the Korean Public Service and Transport Workers Union. Jong-ok Kong, a medical practitioner with the NGO SHARPS, which stands for the Supporters for the Health and Rights of People in the Semiconductor Industry. And Mikyung Ryao, the International Officer for the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions, the peak militant labour movement federation in South Korea. Last week, we looked at Park Geun-hee's legacy of union smashing and then the events and movements that led to her impeachment and the election of Moon Jae-in. This week, we start by looking at some South Korean political context. I asked whether Korean unions were typically affiliated to an electoral Labor Party, and we start off with Mikyung's response. I just want to give Australian, uh, provide Australian listeners with an understanding of South Korean electoral politics. So I wanted to know, is the KCTU or any of the unions affiliated with any particular pro-Labor party? Do unions participate in electioneering or election campaigning at all? Actually, in 2000, right after the general strike uh, against the neoliberal structural adjustment, we, the KCTU built our own party named KDLP. But uh, in 2006, uh, the KDLP uh, took uh, 10 seats uh, in the parliament out of uh, 299, but uh, we failed uh, to uh, make a um, big uh, change in the political area, and this party uh, was split into uh, several <laughs> different parties. So uh, we failed 
uh, at the first stage of the political empowerment movement by the working class. But uh, after that, we uh, tried to rebuild uh, the political movement by the KCTU. And for this election, there were two candidates which were supported by the KCTU members, and they made a very good uh, uh, result uh, during the election. But we have a long way to go, and yeah, we will continue to build a, a broader political movement uh, by the working classes. Walsan Liam from the Korean Public Sector and Transport Workers Union. This is a important, really important question, I think, globally right now, and a difficult one in Korea. The Korean KCTU and the Korean uh, Democratic Labor Movement has said for the last almost two decades, the goal of building a pro-labor progressive party. And that project was going on uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, we formed the Democratic Labor Party, which was a coming together of different progressive forces and different factions in the left. And that, that party actually broke apart in 2008, 2009, leaving us with right now uh, only one very small progressive party with some representation in our parliament and a lot of other very small non-represented um, progressive parties and so coming out of the candlelight uprising we had a discussion in kctu about we're not ready to come back and form another party yet because of internal divisions but we had a discussion about trying to run a single candidate in uh, the elections, a progressive candidate, so not Moon Jae-in or not from the Democratic Party. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that, that proposal failed to pass. And so what the KCTU ended up doing was supporting two progressive candidates, from the two, one from the Justice Party, which has a few seats in the parliament, and one from another very small party. Uh, and we one of the things that probably you don't see in the Australian news is actually the Justice Party, so the progressive candidate, got the highest level of, it was 6.2% of the vote, but it was the highest level of votes that a progressive candidate has ever gotten in a presidential election. Um, and the other candidates in a much smaller party at least finished the race, even though there was a complete um, media blackout on him. And, and so there actually has been a step forward for progressive politics, but there isn't yet a united strategy about what to do to, re, you know, to be able to, to have um, joint campaign or united, united campaigns around progressive candidates. Um, and that's a big task for us. What we did do in the elections, it was sort of two track. One was to officially endorse two progressive candidates and the other was to also approach Moon Jae-in um, and get some policy agreements with him around. So even though we were clear we weren't mobilizing votes for him to have uh, him make public agreements to some of our policies around the public sector and around uh, workers' rights. And that's kind of how we approached the election. But it would have been a much stronger it would have been a much stronger strategy if we had been able to come together around a single candidate and to really uh, put out our platform through a unified, you know, can platform uh, campaign against around a single candidate. So that's that's a task for the future, the immediate future, in my in my personal opinion. 
You did mention the KCTU's calls on President Moon and one of them, one of the demands that you've made on him is to eradicate the structural evils left over from previous administrations and to aggressively pursue fundamental social reform. Can you describe what these are? Uh, yeah, uh, during the candlelight movement, uh, yeah, uh, as you mentioned before, we demanded uh, the eradication of the deep-rooted evil, uh, which was originated from the dictatorship in 1970s and 1980s, among others, uh, in the area of the uh, the the uh, the labor policy. Uh, we uh, demanded to abolish the four bills to enact the regressive labor reform and to abolish the administrative directives for expansion of category of justifiable dismissal in private sector and performance-based annual pay in dismissal system in public sector. And we also uh, demand to restore the legal status of the K- Korean Teachers Union and Korean Government Employees Union, which was outlawed by the Park Geun-hye government. And we also uh, demand uh, to abolish the practice of damage lawsuit against the trade union uh, leaders and trade union itself in relation to the trade union activity. And uh, the the union busting, uh, the practice of union busting. So, yeah, these are all the demand for the eradication of the deep-rooted evil in the area of labor policy. We have been calling on Moon Jae-in to uh, regularize, so regularize the status of precarious workers in the public sector. There are in a lot of public institutions subcontracted or temporarily employed workers and it has been a real issue in South Korean society that the public sector should lead the way on on creating good jobs and so he has actually agreed that he is going to take steps to um, regularize or make permanent the, the jobs of workers who are precariously employed in the public sector, that's a big one for us. And then the other is the implementation, uh, in terms of low-paid workers, the implementation of a um, 10000 which is about a $10 in Australian dollars minimum wage, um, which he also says he's going to do gradually, but we're going to have a big fight around that in June. Um, and then, again, around uh, the liberalization of the public sector, the the most immediate piece of that, which we were striking around last year, was the Pakenese government's attempt to introduce a system of individual performance-related pay and termination in the public sector, which would have had workers competing with each other uh, over money-making to hit to hit profit-oriented goals, as opposed to working together in teams to provide good services, and so is a step towards the commercialization of the public sector. And and we've called on him to um, to not implement that policy. We've been able to delay it, so it's it's um, kind of on the on hold right now. But to firmly get rid of that policy, those are our main demands. And of course. Um, to stop privatization of healthcare, energy, transport, and other public sec- um, public services, and then for um, we also organize transport workers, and so the non uh, trans in the non-public transport sector, we also have demands about right now uh, road transport workers. Uh, 
like bus drivers um, are excluded from the limits on uh, how long you can work and so to to get rid of that exclusion as well as in cargo trucking to bring in safe rates those are those are the agreements that we have actually gotten um, at least you know as campaign promises but we're, we definitely have to struggle to uh, bring those in to have those actually actualized and so that's that's a big task for us right now so he has promised to stop privatisation. He has promised to do all of those things to uh, curb um, irregular work, making workers um, more regular and more permanent. You know, he's promising a lot to uh, to workers. Do you trust that that he's going to fulfil on these promises, and not just from his own um, personal commitment, but we know that the position of president or any position of power is not a as individual power that he's held. How is he going to relate to the pressures that big business is going to put on him? And that's exactly the point, I think. And uh, the President Moon also has some promises around reforming the big business, reforming the chables, which is the, the big corporations. But uh, they are a huge part of the economy. They have a huge amount of power. And so it's really about, you know, it's about a balance of, the balance of power, right? And it, can we maintain the strength that we had through the candlelight protests to create enough of a social disruption or a social, you know, attention to? But it's it's not just I mean, the, the reason that uh, eventually there was a vote for impeachment of Pakenhe is because the politicians believed there would be real social chaos because of the protests if they didn't push that vote. So can we keep that pressure up? And if we can keep that pressure up, I think we have, you know, a chance of uh, forcing the administration to uh, enact some of these things. But if we don't keep the pressure up, I, do, I definitely don't believe that he, that Moon Jae-in or his administration will be able to or have the political will to do it on their own. So that's that's why the work is really cut out for us. I do, I must ask about Comrade Han Sung-kyun. He was one of the people um, that uh, was the target of the massive raid on the KCTU building in 2015. He is now in prison. Do we think with this new election, and because we know that that um, imprisonment is highly, highly politicised, do you think there'll be renewed pressure to call for his release? And do you think that's got a better chance of succeeding now under President Moon? So yeah, he it was actually he was so it wasn't a, a raid on the building. Actually, it was after the mass mobilizations in 2015 that there was. I mean, there were raids going on, but but there were a lot of arrests. Uh, um, not in one specific raid, but there were a lot of summons and arrests of uh, labor leaders at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. You're right, and so Hansen Yun is actually the only leader who's still in jail from that round of. Of uh, of arrests and the the problem is that he's in the court system, so he's in the Supreme Court appeal of his trial. In his first sentencing, it was he got a five year sentence, and the second one is a three year sentence, and so it it depends pretty much on the Supreme Court decision. I think it's very possible the sentence is going to be reduced, and I hope that means he'll come out soon. But uh, it. You know, it is not. It's definitely not at all clear that he's going to come out right away. And I think that 
a pardon would be awesome, but <laughs> I think it's probably not going to happen. And so it, um, we'll have to keep watching. But the other, you know, like our, the KP, one of our KPTU's vice presidents was in jail. And the, the, with the help of international solidarity, he was able to come out after his appeals trial. So um, we'll keep hoping. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. The United States Trump administration has taken a particular interest in the Korean Peninsula and particularly a military exercise against North Korea. Unions and worker organisations in South Korea have traditionally taken up a position in favour of North and South reunification. I asked Mikyung Ryao if this was still the case at the KCTU. Uh, within the KCT, we have a committee, special committee for the reunification, and we also support the the build a, a peaceful uh, uh, East A East Asia. So, uh, but uh, now uh, the Korean Peninsula uh, is facing a uh, 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 military tension, which was provoked by the U.S. Uh, the the military alliance between the South Korea and the Japan and the U.S. and uh, as well as the uh, nuclear test by the North Korean uh, regime. So uh, the build of peace uh, in the Korean Peninsula and East Asia is one of our uh, demand as well. And do you think President Moon is uh, supportive of that, or his diplomacy might support the reunification? Yeah, uh, during the election campaign, he uh, promised that he will review uh, the the allocation, deployment of the THAAD uh, in uh, Songju, And he also opened a discussion with the North Korean regime uh, if uh, it is the uh, the the situation uh, is the right choice. So we are expecting to uh, change uh, or change the in the re- relation between two Korea and the uh, military policies uh, in uh, Korean Peninsula. So we are expecting, yeah, a big change. And you'll remember from last week when we spoke to Jung Ok Kong from Sharps, the supporters for the health and rights of people in the semiconductor industry. She spoke about Samsung's abhorrent health and safety record towards workers and the promises and agreements that were made by Moon Jae-in in the lead-up to the election. As we start to conclude this series, I asked Jong Ok Kong where to from here, given the fight must continue. The problem now we found is not the Samsung's only problem. It's very general problem. So uh, first we need to make Samsung and other major electronic companies to take um, responsibility or any legal or even you know beyond the laws they they should take the responsibility on their worker safety and health but also uh, we really think um, more, how to say, broader approach is needed, especially 
you know, Samsung has their own manufacturing facilities, not only in Korea, but also in many other countries. As I know, they have 38 production sites globally, and I don't think they have better safety system in foreign countries than Korea. So um, we need more uh, broader and more global approach for uh, achievement of workers' right to health. And also there are terrible accidents and injuries of workers in Korea, especially in subcontractors. So that's why SHOPS is planning to work more on uh, the subcontractors and the foreign production sites of Korean companies. We really want the listeners can do. <laughs> so any kind of welcome statement or comment on this agreement, that will be a good pressure on the Korean government to implement and to keep the promise. Uh, so, and, and once it is achieved here, then, you know, it can be a good example for the workers outside of Korea too. And please keep your eyes on our struggle. We'll do our best and we do hope all of your struggles in the world also uh, get some achievement and victory. We will continue to push uh, ahead with uh, our own agenda. So um, the, uh, the one of the major agenda of the KCTU uh, is promoting is the minimum wage increase uh, to narrow the gap between the high incomers and low incomers and to strengthen the, the unity and solidarity among the working classes. So. Uh, to realize this demand, we will stage a uh, uh, society-wide strike on June uh, 30th, the, the, the last day uh, the Minimum Wage Council uh, should finalize the deliberation. So uh, we uh, renew uh, our effort to mobilize the members and the society as a whole. We're preparing some important mobilizations, particularly in June. We're gonna we're mobilizing to try to have a mass mobilization of not just workers, but not just organized workers, but other uh, uh, people's movements and also unorganized workers, um, specifically around the minimum wage, but also bringing together some of the other issues that I talked about. And then, um, so those that kind of pressure and mobilization is still really important for us. And then I think that, and this is not just about Korea, but if we look around the world right now, uh, I mean, we see neoliberalism in crisis, but trying to hold on. And I think that the only solution that, I mean, I, well, it, it provides us an opportunity, and I'm now speaking globally and not just about Korea, but it provides us an opportunity because there's more questioning of neoliberalism and we see these sort of populist forces both on the left and the right that are emerging. Um, what that means is there is a loosening of the, at least the political and cultural 
of uh, the neoliberal hegemony. And, and what we need to do as workers and progressive people is to be able to put forth a political, cultural, and ultimately economic alternative. And that means in Korea that we need to get out for me, it means that we need to get our act together about having a united political strategy and ultimately a political party. I think that we see some of that happening in Europe, but it's definitely not enough and there isn't unity around it yet. And so I think it's on all of us to figure out that political strategy and to really talk globally right now about you know, how are we putting out a new vision, a new political vision that is an alternative to you know, neoliberal global capitalism. And some of the conversations that we should be having are very specific, like what do we do about US militarism in in the Asian region? What do we do about the fact that there's now talk about renegotiating free trade agreements? What's a worker's position on those things? And I think we start from there and we build towards something bigger. So I hope that we can continue to have that conversation between workers in Australia and Korea. You are listening to Walsan Liam, the International Officer for the Korean Public Service and Transport Workers Union. Mikyung Riau, the International Officer for the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions and Jong Ok Hong, a practitioner with the NGO Sharps, working for health and safety of workers in the semiconductor industry. Next week on Accent of Women, we conclude our analysis of the Korean presidential elections. But for now, that's all that we have time for. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR, with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.